From the Free Speech Project at Georgetown University, this is Speaking Freely. I'm Sanford Unger. Almost 40,000 students applied to come here to Harvard this fall, and only about 2,000 got in. It was a dream come true. Except for Imagine being a high school student and having that dream come true. As NBC correspondent Morgan Radford reported in June 2017. And then it all comes crashing down. At least 10 incoming freshmen had their recent acceptance withdrawn after posting extremely offensive images and statements on a private Facebook group. The students posted memes, images, or short videos that spread rapidly on social media, often poking fun at pop culture. But these made fun of minorities, the Holocaust, and child abuse. The university's decision, a warning for a new generation of students who have always had social media in their lives. 35% of admissions officers surveyed across the country say they checked the social media sites of college applicants. 42% say that what they found have hurt the applicant. Harvard's admission policies say they have the right to pull admissions from anyone whose behavior doesn't so show strong moral character. But do colleges and universities have the right to pull a student's acceptance because of social media posts they don't approve of? In this edition of Speaking Freely, we talk with Bradley Shear, an attorney who specializes in what he calls Internet privacy, especially when it comes to students. Sheer worries that many young people express their views too freely on social media sites without fully appreciating the consequences of posts that may be seen years later by colleges, universities, and potential employers. When people think about free speech and freedom of speech, speech really isn't free. There's a cost. And so for every single time... That's really, you know, you're you're hitting me in the jugular. (laughs) Free speech is my game. I, 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 I want to hit you in the jugular because I want people to be woken up and for them to realize, especially young people, that everything that you post online is not private, especially whenever you use Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or you use Google for um, Gmail. The information that you're putting online is not private, and therefore when you lose your privacy, you, use your, you lose your ability to really speak freely and the things that you talk about. But this raises an interesting question, because we're not guaranteed privacy in the Constitution, are we? We're not guaranteed privacy. However, we do have an expectation of privacy under the Fourth Amendment for a lot of things that we do. So even though there is no guarantee... But the Fourth Amendment deals with searches and seizures. Correct. And that's more focused on the government and not private entities. Right. And so outside um, in Europe, they do have some new laws coming into effect which will really help out young people, students, and everyone else regarding privacy issues. Because at the end of the day, when you lose your privacy, you lose your ability to really speak freely. Because, for example, a lot of people who are outside in in different countries, for example, in Iran or or, um, Russia or China, they have some really strong laws out there that really restrict what people can say and do, and they're going out of their way some of these governments to restrict the use of VPNs, privacy-enhancing VPNs mechanisms. are virtual private networks. Yes, exactly. Uh, virtual private networks and other privacy-enhancing tools, so that way the people in those countries, it makes it more difficult for them to speak freely. So that's why we're very lucky we live in a country that allows for privacy-enhancing tools, such as VPNs. But let me ask you this. I, I'm, I'm certainly sympathetic to what you say about privacy. I mean, mm-hmm. who, who can't be? And, right. and of course, our, our lives don't feel nearly as private as they once did. And I'm not sure 
whose interest is served by our lives not being so private. However, isn't it just to be expected in a time like this, in an electronic age, isn't it to be expected that what we say is going to be out there, that people are going to be able to find it and hold us responsible for what we've said? I want to see my children grow up in a world where everything that they do when they're 3, 4, 5, 15, 18 years old doesn't stay with them for the rest of their lives. Just think about this point. Imagine if President Clinton, President Bush, President Obama, and President Trump, imagine if they grew up in a world or a time where everything that they did while growing up through their 20s and 30s was collected and then used later on, analyzed, and if they ever wanted to run for political office or get a job, I highly doubt if every little thing that they ever said was collected or done, whether or not they said it or whether they may, maybe sent an email or maybe talked to someone and it was secretly recorded. We certainly know a lot about what Bill Clinton did and said. George W. Bush, I don't know if it's as interesting mm -hmm. uh, to know all the details of what he did and said, but it might be. And certainly Donald Trump, could we have a day without finding out something more about Donald Trump? It it's, <laughs> doesn't seem to me there are likely to be a lot more secrets there. Now, when you say three, four, and five years old, I think that's a period when uh, maybe there should be an exemption. But teenagers, I don't know. I, I, I think... Um, the teenage brain is not fully formed yet. I have two children in elementary school, but as a parent, I don't want to have everything that they say while they're in elementary school, middle school, and high school to be held against them for the rest of their lives. The reason why kids go to college is to learn and become productive members I, of society. I certainly agree with that. Mm -hmm. I, I do agree with that. But what is it we're worried about being found out about or being revealed? Uh, what is the sure? Um, what is the, the risk? Well, the risk is you can easily be discriminated against. For example, based upon your political leanings, um, based upon your religion, based upon a disability, based upon your sexual orientation. And all those things are very easily collected, for example, on Facebook. If you like, uh, for example, there was a lawsuit years back from someone who was uh, working at the Library of Congress. He liked something called My Two Dads and he claimed that he was discriminated against because he felt like his boss, once he found out his sexual orientation, was very difficult towards him. I've had students come to me because they've got in trouble, because they discussed something, uh, they like liked something on Facebook or did a, literally a like. I had one issue where someone did a like and an LOL on something that was political and it was, um, it was a combination of political and inappropriate, what was said. And unfortunately, the student's um, family had contacted me after they spoke with the college. And the problem was that they had already said, they already admitted to the fact that they said something because someone had reached out to them anonymously and said, okay, well, this person, this applicant who got in, right. said something online, <laughs> and, and this young person lost a scholarship that was worth approximately $250,000 and the ability to go to school, their hopes and dreams. So somebody, a friend or an acquaintance, tipped off a college yes. to which the student had been admitted and where he'd been, he or she had been granted a scholarship Yes. and drew the college's attention to something this young person had said online. He didn't actually say it. What he did was he liked it and then did an LOL. That was it. And because of that, he lost a scholarship and his place in... That's pretty sinister. Was, what, what was the nature of what he liked? It had to do with politics during the election in 2016 and it had some um, potential racial undertones. And 
it was something that I personally would never um, encourage anyone to uh, post or write or, or discuss, but we're talking about a 17-year-old. And what goes through a what 17 were you able? What were you able to do for this young person? Were you able to get the scholarship back? Unfortunately, the school had already reached out to this young person, and the young person had already responded. And the fact that they, there wasn't a state law in place, and there was too many moving parts, and by the time they reached out to me, there wasn't much I could do. If they would have reached out to me before they responded to the demand to verify or authenticate the post, then I could have possibly done something. But this is going on more and more where colleges are going to students and applicants and saying, look, um, we believe you posted something that was inappropriate online. We need you to verify it. Like what happened? What's what the sort of statute of limitations for this? Can it be something that was done many years earlier or just a few months ago during the application season? That's What's the problem. Experience? It could possibly be anything that's like several, up to several years old. What is your advice to young people, to teenagers, to people applying to colleges? Uh, what, what is it that you suggest they do? I suggest that they minimize their digital footprint, lock down their social media accounts. Um, I actually provide a lot of consulting services in that area. I also have an online course where I focus on teaching my clients on how to literally become invisible online or not necessarily invisible, but try to minimize their digital footprint. For example, I think it's very important for young people to have Finsta accounts. A Finsta account is a fake Instagram account and fake social media accounts and have accounts that can't easily be found by admissions officials. So, so wait a minute, Brent. So you're advocating deception on the part of students? No, I'm advocating privacy and security but and safety. But fake. You're using the word fake. You're advocating that they that's, have fake That's the accounts. term. The term is... Finsta means fake Instagram. I like to say they're alternative social media accounts. They're not fake. They're alternative they're accounts. They're called that, fake, but they're not fake. Some people call them fake. Other people call them alternative social media accounts or private social media accounts. Mm -hmm. I, it's a nuance, but in my opinion, I encourage people, whether you're young or you're old. Here, I'll give you a perfect example. James Comey, he had a Finsta Twitter account. Why? Because he obviously wanted to post on Twitter. And while he was FBI director? While he was FBI director, I, yes. Let me make sure, sure I understand this. Are you endorsing this for James Comey to do this? Do you think it's a good thing? It's a good thing for students to do it, but not a good thing for him to do it? I'm just saying I'm not endorsing whether or not someone should do it or not. I'm just saying it's one way to protect your privacy and your security. Of course, a certain number of people will know whose, it, whose account it is, but employers or college admissions officials or the government, they may not know. I mean, that's why we've had the administration try to unmask people going to a particular website. People want to know what websites you're going to. They want to know where you're tweeting from and where you're posting from. And when it comes to political issues and when it comes to other things that could be private in nature, for example, what your religion is or if you have a particular sexual orientation that is not publicized, I think people should have that right to stay private and be able to discuss those things because those are the most personal things so we have. you think that without this kind of, I'm, I'm going to use the word deception, which sounds uh -huh. unattractive, but without that particular kind of, you would say, constructive deception, that we have no privacy. I don't like the term constructive deception. I like the term privacy-enhancing service because privacy and security and safety go hand in hand mm -hmm. because uh, when I said earlier about there really isn't any uh, there really isn't anything such as free speech because all speech has a cost. Because once you go out on a limb and you talk about something, you may lose opportunities based upon your personal okay, opinions. Okay, so that leads, 
I think, to a philosophy of self-censorship. Unfortunately, yes. Yes, that, that you're advocating that people censor themselves and not speak their minds at any age, really, but especially at a young age. It's not, so to speak, self-censorship. I don't. I think censorship is a dirty word, and well, I, 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 I'm not a big fan of the word censorship. I'm more of a fan of the word, um, I, I guess, along the lines, being careful or, or being, uh, being uh, judicious with how you're conducting yourself. We had recently a young woman who had an Instagram account at the University of Alabama and she says some disgusting hateful things that I would never advocate anyone saying or even believing and within 24 hours literally she was thrown out of, her, out of her sorority and she was kicked out of her school well it's one thing to be thrown out of your sorority that's a private entity however she was kicked out of a public institution the University of Alabama and should the University of Alabama do they have the legal right as a public entity to kick a student out for saying for voicing Well, a public opinion. institution, that's more, obviously, more problematic than a exactly. private institution. Private institution, totally, yeah. That's public institutions are clearly and explicitly covered by the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm not familiar with the case at this moment, and I don't know what she said. But does she have the right to say hateful things privately? She has the right. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in what some people have attributed to Voltaire. I may not agree with what you have right. to say, but I'll defend to the death your right to right. say it. I, I truly believe that we live in a very special country that has these First Amendment protections, and I'm under the opinion that people should feel free to speak their mind. However, people that do speak their mind online, there's generally a cost when there's certain things said that other people don't like, and the internet mob can go after you. But what is the internet? Did you say the internet mob? The internet mob, yes. Sorry, I almost <laughs> missed that one. Tell me about yes. the internet mob for a second. For example, every time that you see something um, that someone might say online that uh, a lot of people might not agree with, whether it's politics or race or sexual orientation, and for some reason someone picks it up and someone retweets it, it gets retweeted a bunch of times, all of a sudden that person can become the target of a lot of angry people who never even knew this person. So the internet mob is composed of people we used to call trolls. Trolls, that's another term. Right. Trolls, internet mob. People um, looking looking for trouble, looking for... Or rabble-rousers or troublemakers right. or whatever. Right. It, people have the right to say what they want in response to what other people have said. That's the beauty of our country. That's why I love so, this country. I think we all do. But when you... I, you don't want me to use the word self-censorship. but oh, Feel free to use it. It's okay. <laughs> but when, they, when you say that they should be careful what they say uh -huh. at a young age... Is that necessarily the lesson we want young people to get when we're, when we're advocating free speech? Just be careful I, what I, you say. I agree. I, I don't want my children to grow up in a world where they have to self-censor themselves. And I think part of the reason is because of all the technology out there where everyone has a cell phone and it's so easy to, collect, to literally video record what someone is saying and someone can use that for years on end to maybe blackmail a person. I mean, it's so easy to collect information off of a cell phone and the text messages that you're sending back and forth. So what you're saying is be careful, don't make a mistake. I always advocate trying to be careful with what you're saying in emails and text messages and anything that's recorded. I mean, I think it's always a good idea to just be very cognizant of what your surroundings are because it's not just what you're saying in the digital space, it's also what you're saying offline that can be recorded and then republished or reposted and I really don't want to live in an Orwellian world. And that's why I really try to help my students 
and try to help my clients and the people who I educate on trying to take extra precautions when you're dealing with especially online platforms because of the type of information they're collecting. They're also selling a lot of that information and data to data brokers. And once that information is picked up and collected and sent over to a data broker, it can end up anywhere and anyone can buy it, whether it's an employer can buy it, whether it's a financial services company, whether it's a college, whomever. But the implication is, I think, that if this is happening, mm -hmm. that you want everybody to come across as bland, as not having strong opinions or not having a distinct personal profile. That you, have, In order to succeed, to be hired mm -hmm. by these companies, to be admitted to these colleges, etc., according to this theory, right. you just have to project yourself as sort of all gray or beige or you, mm -hmm. know, you, won't, you won't attract much attention. Is that a good thing? Absolutely not. And that's, that's the challenge here. It's finding the happy medium. I mean, I'm all for people having distinct personality and for people having strong opinions and for people being able to voice their opinions openly and in a manner that really makes society a better place. I mean, I personally have very strong opinions about free speech. And my strong opinions, such as the fact that I've advocated for a lot of these state social media privacy laws, I've worked with members of Congress on a bill that hopefully would one day uh, become an act of the Social Networking Online Protection Act. I really would love to see our society become more tolerant of people making mm -hmm. online mistakes. And that's the challenge here because I would rather see young people be free to say whatever they want online and people feel like they don't have to self-censor. However, the challenge is that we have too many people out there who if you say one thing incorrectly or wrong or someone takes offense to it, you could be blackballed. And you so could how be do we get to your mm -hmm. utopia where people can <laughs> should be saying what they believe and, and should be distinct personalities mm -hmm. get their opinions out? How do we get to that without those people getting into trouble? That's the problem. I, that's the challenge. So you don't really mean it that you think people should do that. You think they should be able to do it, but watch out. I think that people should be able to feel free to speak their mind. However, there's consequences. There's consequences with everything that you say and everything that you do online and in the real world. And if you're someone just starting out and you already have these positions staked out, that could raise a red flag and that could be a turnoff to some employers in some schools because of the fact that they want to be able to mold you into the type of student or employee that they really want for their organization. So that's, that's the challenge here. Bradley Shear is a lawyer in the Washington, D.C. area specializing in Internet privacy. For an extended version of our conversation, you can visit the Speaking Freely section of our website, freespeechproject.georgetown.edu. Our project is funded by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. I'm Sanford Unger. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Speaking Freely. Mm -hmm.